0: Obedience. Everybody say, oh, praise the Lord. But I'm, I want to talk about it <clears throat> very specifically. I want to talk about it from the standpoint of obedience to faith. Uh, you know, as a, as a preacher, and we see it in other areas of our life as well, oftentimes... You know, the biggest faith step that we, we take is when we we tell somebody they're okay. Because if we convince them they're not okay, then we're on the path of being able to get them to do what we want them to do. But what I want you to understand is you okay. I want you to understand that God loves you unconditionally. No matter how badly you messed up this week, we won't ask for a show of hands on that one. Because some of you wouldn't raise your hand, then I'd have to have a prayer line for liars and just lengthen the service out. I wanna talk with you about obedience to the faith. I'm not talking about being obedient to a law or a, uh, a bunch of requirements and rules and regulations. I'm talking about being obedient to the faith. Our faith is believing in what Jesus has done for us. And you see, I'm convinced if we come to the place that we really, really, really believe that what the Bible says Jesus did for us, we'll begin to act accordingly. You know, because Scripture says faith without works, faith without corresponding action in the American standard, New American standard, faith without corresponding action is dead. So if we really believe what the Bible says, we begin to operate in that. We begin to follow after that. Not because there's a rule that's come down and says we have to do this. We do it because we wanna please our precious Heavenly Father. You see, when, when we're under law, when people are under the law, obedience is required if you're under the law, obedience is required of you. And once you are obedient, then you're going to experience the blessing. But Jesus took that and he turned it all around. Before we were ever obedient, Jesus paid the price for each and every one of us that we might have life and that we might have the abundant life. That abundant life that we experience isn't because we're obedient to some rule or some regulation. We experience the the blessing because we receive what Jesus has already done for us. And so it's it's all flip-flopped, it's all turned around. Under the old, You were obedient, and then you were able to be blessed. Under the new, we're blessed. Therefore, we're able to be obedient. Because the problem with being under law is we begin to follow after, or we begin to serve that which we submit to. And so if we submit to law, we begin to serve that law. But you know what? When we're submitted to Jesus, we serve him. I think for so long, for too long, in the church, we've served a rule, we've served an ideal, rather than to serve Jesus. I think it's time for us to get back to the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And realize, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. And when we get back to that, we get back to serving Jesus with a whole heart. So let's start in Deuteronomy 28. God made a grace covenant with we, his people, Because no one, no one can keep the law. Well, there was one. His name was Jesus. He kept it. But no one other than Jesus has been able to do that. Or will be able to. But in Deuteronomy 28, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now it shall come to pass... If you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commands which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obeyed the voice of the Lord your God. Because you obeyed the voice of the Lord your God, these blessings will come upon you and overtake you. And notice what it says. It says that you're careful to observe. Now, we're to serve God with all diligence, amen? But we're to serve Him. We're to recognize what he has already done for each and every one of us. But here it says that, see it's, it's under the old covenant, under the law, the blessings were conditional. Do you know why so many of us still have such a difficult time receiving from God? It's because we're still operating under those old conditions. We look at ourselves and we say, I, I, haven't, I haven't lived the perfect life, so why would God ever bless me? Well, let me tell you something. If his blessing in your life is dependent upon you living the perfect life, each and every one of us, we might as well go out those doors and slam them behind us and never come in again because it's an absolute impossibility. We will never do it. Does that mean we just simply go out and do whatever we want, case sera, sera and eat, drink, and be merry? It's not what we're talking about. That's not what I'm saying. You see, I believe that we can live the victorious life. But it's not gonna be by trying to apply, trying to keep a set of rules and regulations that by and large man has set down for us to keep. It's gonna be as we fall in love with Jesus and we recognize how much Jesus loves us. That's why that little song, we, you know, we don't pay that much attention to it anymore, but Jesus loves me, this I know. See, the first element is for us to know that Jesus loves us. He loved us before we loved him. And so it's no longer conditional from the standpoint I do this and God will love me. God loves me. And therefore my response to him is that I love him in return. The way that I love him in return return, is by acting upon the promises that he's given us. You know, here what says um, if you if you diligently obey the voice. You know, I think in the King James Version there, it says, to hearken. We're to hearken, we're to be obedient to the words that the Lord told us. And so the blessings of God under the old were conditional. Let's look at Hebrews, the eighth chapter. People say, Pastor, why, why do we talk so much about this? Because we haven't got it yet. Because if we had it, we would walk in it. Now, I don't walk in fear. But here's what you know, one of my greatest fears are, is, M whatever, you know what it is? Is that the church of Jesus Christ will revert back to a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. You know, when I went to, and I know you've all heard this before, but when I went to Bible school, The day that we were leaving, Ankeny I would move to Goldman, Missouri. My pastor came to the house. We're still in the denomination at that time. And he said to me, he said, Dave, he says, I believe what you're doing is the right thing. I believe that you're going to the right school, because in our denomination, and I won't use the name, but in our denomination, he says what I see is all the people that are coming out, all the people that are coming out of semin- seminary, that's all they have is what's part of the denomination. They're, they're just a cookie cutter of what's been in the past. But you know what was so exciting about the, the charismatic renewal? where there were, there were people that were caught up in the, the tradition, the form of godliness, and they said, there's gotta be more. Is this all there is? <laughs> you know, the old Frank Sinatra song, none of you know it. You're all too stinking young and hung up on something that gives you a headache. Yeah. <laughs> but old Frankie, you know, he did it his way no, is this all there is? But see, the point is, is that's where we were in religion. It was, is this all there is? And my greatest fear, and you know, and then we went through the through the word of faith movement and and, and different movements. But what I what my fear is, is we're reverting back to getting into this this form. And the thing about forms is they're comfortable. They're comfortable. And so, because of the, the comfort, because of the. We stop fixing our eyes on Jesus because, you know what? We get back into the um, uh, obedient element. I was at church today. Not enough to go to church. And as a preacher, I probably shouldn't say this. Going to church isn't a prerequisite. Loving Jesus is. Let me tell you something, if you love Jesus, though, then you're going to desire to be in fellowship, to be amongst other believers. But notice what he says here in in Hebrews, the eighth chapter. And we'll start in the eighth verse. Because finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Everybody say new covenant. With the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. Because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them says the lord he says in the day that i took them out dropping down to the 13th verse and in that he said a new covenant he has made the first is obsolete now what has what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish What does that mean? That means if you're trying to operate under the old principles, you're operating under something that's obsolete. We're trying to accomplish something that's obsolete. We're losing sight of what Jesus has truly done for us. Don't misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with the Mosaic law is perfect. If there was a problem with it, the problem was that it was too perfect. Because the problem was that man was not able to keep it. Man was not able to fall. The law is perfect. If we could keep the law, we would walk in perfection. But we can't in ourselves. But by the following and leading of the Holy Spirit, we can, as we follow after him, as we put him first place in our our lives. God told the people that in the next covenant, what he could or could not do would not be dependent upon them. What God can and cannot do in your life is not dependent upon you. You know what it's dependent upon? It's dependent on what Jesus accomplished and us believing it. Put it in our trust, put it in our faith, put it in our confidence in what Jesus has done for us. And so I don't, I, I know it can be done, but I don't ever want it to be misinterpreted that I think there's something wrong with the law because I don't. If it were not for the perfect law of liberty, the perfect law of the law, I would not have known that I needed Jesus in my life. I wouldn't have known that I needed a Savior. I wouldn't have known that I was a sinner. But the law made it very clear. Dude, you are a sinner. You need a Savior. There's only one Savior out there, and His name is Jesus. And so we need to put our trust and our confidence in him. The law from that standpoint has expired. And so we look to Jesus. We put our trust in Jesus. And you know, the interesting thing is, is when we, when we begin to look to the law, all at once it begins to have impact in other areas of our life. You know, for example, there's a lot of husbands that think it's their responsibility to rule over their wife, over their spouse. And, you know, it does say, well, let's go back there and look for just a moment. I'm going to start here because we need to see that something took place. In Genesis the second chapter of the 16th verse, it says, And the Lord commanded them, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And so we, we all know that that's um, the command that Jesus, or that God put out there when He created man. He said everything, you, you're, you're to rule over everything. It's all yours, except there's this one tree in the middle of the garden, tree of knowledge and good and evil, don't eat of it. The day you eat of it, you're gonna die. See, this is how law works. So here they have all of creation. Did you hear me? They had all of creation except one tree. And they weren't to eat of the tree. So what did they do? They ate of the tree. You know what the law produces? It produces rebellion. It's a simple example. You have a three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old, probably all the way up to 18. Some of them 68. 68. You put a piece of candy on the corner of the table and say, don't eat that. You're gonna have this over here, but don't eat that. Oh, you want that candy. Why? Because somebody told you not to take the candy. So what are you doing? You're focusing on that piece of candy. That piece of candy begins to dominate your life. It's what happened to Adam and Eve. All of creation, it's yours. you rule over it. You can eat of any of, the, of the, the, tr- the fruit that you want except of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat of that tree because the day that you eat of it, you're gonna die. They couldn't resist it. And of course, the snake, the serpent, Should have been a clue when a snake speaks to you. Said, ah, don't worry about it. Just eat it. God's just afraid you're going to be like him. They're already like God. But God created man as a free will agent that we can choose to serve him if we want. We can choose to eat of the tree if we want. And they chose to eat. And it says that man died, he was separated from God. Well, Adam didn't physically die because he lived, what, some 900 years after that or something like that? 600? But he is separated from God. His spirit man died, was separated from God. Man stayed in that condition until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then, right after this, God says this concerning the fall. In verse 16. And to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your uh, your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Well, see, there it is, Pastor Dave. Man's to rule over the woman. Husbands to rule over the wife. Thank goodness nobody gave me an amen on that one because you'd be in trouble. But then it says in Galatians three fourteen, bless, <clears throat> that the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Prior to that, it says that we've been set free from the curse. You know what? We're equal now. Well, pastor, in Ephesians, it says that the wife is to submit to the husband. Alvin, notice the order there. It says the husband is to love the wife as Christ loves the church. And in response to that, the wife is to submit unto the husband as unto the Lord. You see, when you get it messed up in our relationship with Jesus, it messes up every other relationship that we have. Do you realize, do I dare say this? (laughs) Even though Jesus is the head of the church, as the church, we're on equal plane with him. What Jesus did, we can do Jesus says, go therefore, heal the sick, cast out devils, pray in other tongues. If you drink anything deadly, it's not gonna harm you. What are all those things? Those are all the actions of Jesus. He's still the head, so we love him, we submit to him. But you know what? What happens when we love Jesus and we accept him and accept what he's done for us? It brings us up, it doesn't take us down as husbands, as we love our wives, as Christ loves the church, it doesn't lower them in their esteem, in their position, it raises them. We no longer look down at them and see them as inferior. We look at them and see them as equals. That's what the gospel does for you. That's why I don't understand any woman that doesn't wanna be a Christian and doesn't wanna be involved in Christianity. It's the only religion, if I can call it that, that gives a woman her proper place. Every other one, she's a rug that everybody walks over. She's property that's there to be used. That was never God's plan for the woman. And that's what the law will do. Or oh, I remember when we tried to operate under the law. Oh, you know, the woman says, submit, you're the head of the house, you need to take charge. And so Becky had always taken care of our money. And so I tried to do it and I just didn't enjoy it that much. And so finally I came to this revelation. I says, I'm the head of this house. I delegate to you. <laughs> oh, it didn't really happen that way. But see, what happens is if we don't see one another as equals, that's what begins to take place. We have have a whole segment in so many of the churches around the world, we have a whole evangelistic segment that is sent back and said they are of no good, of no value in the kingdom of God. Because the school that I went to, women could not preach they could share. Isn't it amazing? In the majority of our churches, we can't allow a woman in the pulpit to preach to us because we men are too important, I guess. But we'll send them to the children's church. We'll send them to the Sunday school. Let them teach the male there, but they don't dare come into the sanctuary and teach. That's an abomination. And it's because people have not recognized their proper place in Christ Jesus. And the moment that we do, we'll begin to see things so much differently than we do now. Just give me a second, I lost my notes. There we go. And so Galatians says, that's no longer in play. It's no longer in operation. Jesus says, It's no longer male nor female. There's no longer, you know, rich or poor. There's no longer, in in the kingdom of God, we're one. We're equal. Why? To perform what God's called us to do. Under grace, belief was the only requirement to receive the promises. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and not of yourselves as a gift of God, not of works. It's not what I do. It's what Jesus has already done for me. It's what Jesus has accomplished for me. And as I believe that, I can begin to walk in that. I can begin to operate in that. As a quote from two Sundays ago, the guy that was sharing on the video and he was talking about his his mother and how she had told him all their life Whether you believe you can or whether you believe you can't, you'll do it. What do you believe? Well, if we come to believe the Word of God that is true, that is given for each and every one of us, we'll begin to walk in it. In Isaiah, I'm just gonna look at one verse there. In Isaiah, the first chapter, the 19th verse. It says, if you are willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. That's how it operated under the old. If you are willing and obedient, you would eat the good of the land. But Jesus says, the good of the land is available to you. If you trust me, if you believe in me, and anytime time one begins to preach this, people immediately begin to say, well, pastor, then people will do whatever they want. And my response is always the same. Have you noticed people are doing whatever they want? And many of those people that are doing whatever they want, they've been, they've been under, there's been law that's been imposed in their life, their entire life. And what that laws has is rebellion in their life. But when we begin to realize what Jesus has made available to us and, and we can just simply believe him and we can just simply begin to serve him, you know what? That, that faith, that, will, that belief will produce actions in our life. And those actions will line up with what the will of God is for each and every one of us. It's not us trying to get something. It's us recognizing what Jesus has already provided for each and every one of us, the graces that we can receive by faith. In Romans, the fifth chapter, the 19th verse. It says, for by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Do you know that the sinner has done absolutely nothing to become a sinner? We're born that way. Sinners aren't sinners because they sin. Sinners sin because they're sinners. That's who they are. That's their identity. It goes back to Adam. And so the, really what the question comes down to is are we, put, are we gonna put more faith in what Adam did or more faith in what Jesus has done. But see, the majority of the time what you'll find out is that people have more faith in what Adam did in the fall than in what Jesus did. You did nothing to become a sinner other than get born. You did nothing to become righteous other than get born again. The first was on the part of the first Adam. The second was on the part of the second Adam, Jesus. And because we believe in him, we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we can believe all that he says belongs to us. And so what do we do? Well, let's look at Hebrews the 10th chapter. Hebrews the 10th chapter in the 26th verse says for if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Now, now the problem with this is we, we take it so much out of context. All sin is willful. Well, no, 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 Pastor, you no, know, I, just, I just kind of fell into it. No, don't give me that. You thought about it, may have been for just a second, but you, you thought about it and you decided, I'm gonna do this, so, so all, all sin is willful. You know, Adam and Eve, they, they didn't just fall into that tree and she accidentally opened her mouth and, and an apple fell into it. And she just happened to bite down because it was a reflex, re, reflex reaction. No, she, she willfully took the apple. And that's what we do. We, we do it willfully. And so if, if that's what it's saying, there isn't any hope for any of us we're all lost. Our hope is always not in what I've done, it's in what Jesus has done for me. And that sacrifice that He made for each and every one of us, it isn't for a short period of time, it's always. For if we sin, there, there's a condition, if we sin willfully, we have received, after receiving the knowledge, There no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. You know, and what it's talking about is under the old covenant, there was another sacrifice. There was another sacrifice. There was another sacrifice. When we sin, there isn't gonna be another sacrifice because the sacrifice was made once for all. The sacrifice is Jesus. And so if you mess up, or should I say, When you mess up, don't try to look for another sacrifice. You return to Jesus because there is no other sacrifice. There is no other means of salvation. It all evolves around Jesus and his his completed works. In Romans, the sixth chapter. Romans, the sixth chapter, the 16th verse. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether to sin, leading to death, or of obedience, leading to righteousness? For God, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Well, what's, delivering, or what's doctrine? Doctrine is basically what we believe. And he says, whatever we present ourselves to, we're going to be a slave to it. And the context of this in Romans, he's talking about the law what are we going to submit to? Are we going to submit to it or are we going to submit to Jesus? And if we try to do it by keeping the law, what happens is our our focus, just like when I was talking about that candy, our focus begins to be on the law. It begins to be on the difficulty we have in, in, in trying to serve God and, and to be who he wants us to be. And, and, and so our struggle is, I, I know that I need to, be pure of heart, and I know I need to do this, and I, and I know I need to do that, but I'm, I'm just not doing it, I, I try so hard, but I, I just don't account, and that's where our focus is. But when we begin to realize that Jesus has done it all, and we begin to put our focus on him, and we begin to look to him, and we begin to be thankful that I have the victorious life because of what Jesus has already done for me, this is a victory that overcomes the world, even my faith, my faith in what Jesus has already done for me. And as I focus upon that, I'm drawn in that direction. I'm pulled in that direction. Whatever whatever we focus on will dominate our thought life. And whatever dominates our thought life will control our life. And we need to learn to turn to him. In Romans 1, 5 it says, through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all the nations for his name. That's where the title came from. Obedience to the faith. What does that mean? That means we become obedient to what we believe. If we truly believe that Jesus has set us free, we begin to walk in that freedom. We begin to stop relying on our abilities and what we can do. I don't know what the name of the movie was, but yesterday, we were watching a movie, and I didn't see the beginning of it, so I don't know what the title was. I <clears throat> Doctrinally, it wasn't probably real sound, because there's there about this this candle maker. Still, the one they used candles in churches and stuff, and this candle maker would make the, these candles, and one year this angel showed up, and and like I said, I didn't see the beginning, so I'm talking out of turn, but somehow bless the candle. And so whoever would get that candle, they could, uh, they could believe God, you know, pray and they'd get whatever it is that they're asking for. And so everybody, every year, they wanted that candle because there was only one candle and they'd give that candle to somebody. And this particular year, the, they, they had all the candles, the candlemaker had the candles hanging up and there were, 30 of them, I think it was, and there was one candle that would be blessed by the angel or whatever, and, and whoever got that candle, their prayer would be answered that year. And, and so they were sitting there, and the angel showed up, and, and all of a sudden, uh, a big wind came along and knocked over the candles, they all fell on the floor, and and so they went and tried to pick up all the candles and they couldn't figure out which candle was the one that was the, the special candle, the blessed candle. You understand? You need the candle that's blessed. You know, it's kind of like the the, the man at, the, at the, the well. I mean, at the uh, pool. You know, or once a year, the angel would show up or periodically and would stir the water and whoever would get into the water, that individual would would get healed kind of along those lines. And so... They didn't know what the candle was, and the candle had fallen under the the thing, and so they didn't know what they were gonna do because they didn't know who to give the candle to. So they thought, well, let's just give all the candles out, and then somebody will get the candle and they'll they'll get it. So they, they gave out twenty-nine candles. But there's one candle missing, and so they knew it had to be someplace, and they finally found the candle. Well, to make a long story short, they get up on Christmas Eve and the preacher says, you know, that uh, you know, he's going to expose this candle issue because he didn't believe in the candle. And so they said, who got a candle? And 29 people stood up. You got the candle? And so he's going to disprove the whole thing and then, all of a sudden, there's this boy who hadn't been able to talk for years. He just began to talk, and he says, you know, when I got the candle, I just believed that I... And then this thing happened, this thing... All 29 of them, every one of them received whatever it was that they were, they were believing for because they believed that the angel from God blessed the candle, and because God blessed the candle, they were gonna be able to get whatever they, they got. And they didn't get the blessed candle. But they believed. That's probably kind of a stupid story. But let me tell you something. If you stop believing in what you're able to do and you become obedient to the faith to believe that when Jesus said that he desires for you to prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers, that if you believe that, you're going to see that manifest in your life. If you need healing in your body and you believe that because of the stripes of Jesus, you've been healed, you're healed. If you believe that yes, I may be experiencing lack in my life, but Jesus became poor that I might become rich. And if I believe that, if we believe that, we're gonna experience the abundance that's been made available to him. But you know the problem is, we've put more faith in our obedience than his obedience. We've put more faith in what Adam did than what Jesus did. And it's time for us to say no more. I'm gonna get back to the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, I remember when I was first saved answered prayer was, is like that. It was just because I knew there was nothing I could do. I could just I needed to trust in Jesus. And you know what? We saw the answers. Why did we leave that? We got educated. We listened to all the doctrine, and all the philosophy that came against the simplicity of the gospel. My fear is that we get away from that. My fear is that we get back to being intellectual. Well, that doesn't make any sense. How do we reason that? Listen to me. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace is simple. It comes down to one word, Jesus. Does that mean we don't study the word? Of course we study the word because it's in the word that we find out what Jesus has done for us. But we never allow the word to reflect more on us than it does on Jesus. And so often in what we're hearing is what well, we've got to do, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, we've got to obey this, we've got to, we've got to. no, Jesus has done it. We need to trust him. He is trustworthy, obedient to the faith. Acts 6-7, then the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to faith. And many of the priests were obedient the faith what's the faith that they became obedient to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ they turned from preaching and practicing the rules and the regulations and they turned to putting their trust and confidence simply and completely in Jesus Christ that's where we need to be We need to be obedient to the faith. That's where our obedience begins. That's where our obedience ends. Being obedient to the faith, being obedient to what Jesus has done for us. I don't know if you realize this, but as Christians, we're in a battle. Everything in the world wants to put down Christ, wants to belittle, everything that we consider to be significant and important. It's trying to take God and Christianity and, and make it of, of no value. So we're in, the, we're in a battle. But the greatest battle that you and I are in is within ourselves. That we recognize what Jesus has done for us and we don't allow any of the, the lies to keep us from walking in the fullness of it. In Romans 6, 25, it says, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel, and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began. What's the mystery that he's talking about here? The grace of God, the unmerited favor of God. That's the mystery. It's it was available in the old covenant, but it wasn't revealed in the old. We see it clear. Now, to him who was able to establish you, see, he's able to establish us. According to my gospel, the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now, if I say, but now, but now made manifest, and by the prophet prophetic scripture made known to all nations according to the command of the everlasting God for the obedience of the faith. The obedience of the faith. Believing what Jesus has truly done for us and when we believe that, we act upon it. We live it, we walk it out. You know, the children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, it was the grace of God. They did nothing to deserve it. They had spent all those years in Egypt rebelling against God. They did nothing to earn it or to deserve it. You can read this for yourself down in Exodus, the 19th chapter later on today sometime third verse to third eight verse eight it talks about how when moses came down from the mount and he brought the command he says oh, they said we we can do it we got this we can do it and you see that's what that's the mentality that we get we get the mentality i can do this I can keep the law. I can be obedient. No, you can't. Your life has proved it. Everybody's life has proved it. We need a Savior. We need Jesus. And the reason the law was given, it revealed to them they couldn't do it. Frustration after frustration. Why? Because they could not do it. But you know what? through Christ Jesus, we can do it. Well, I guess I need to read this. Let's turn to Exodus, the 19th chapter. Exodus, the 19th chapter, beginning in verse 3. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and to the children of Israel, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I brought you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all peoples from all the earth, for all the peoples of the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy people. These are the words which you shall speak to the, to the people and lay before them all these words which I command, which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. So Moses brought back the word of the people. And so this is what I want you to see. It, it, it sounds okay, but there was an attitude about it. Well, all this will do. And you go to the next chapter, and you know what happened in the next chapter? They were given the law. You'll have no other gods before me. Honor the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You know, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not bear false witness. All of that is in the next chapter. It came right after Moses went back up the mountain after the children of Israel said, we can do it. You know what the greatest hindrance to somebody coming to Jesus and truly giving their life to Jesus is? I can do it. I can handle it myself. You know the most difficult part of a Christian when they have crisis in their life? I can handle it. I can do it. And so you know what happens? They don't turn to Jesus. They don't put their trust and their confidence in him. Why? Because they can do it themselves. Christ is the manifestation of God's glory in the earth. And in that glory, in him, we find everything that we could possibly ever need. Jesus is physical proof that God mean meant exactly what he he said. You know, in the scripture, in the Gospel of John, the ninth chapter, we have an example of a man. He was he is born blind, and they'd come to Jesus, and uh, this is kind of the philosophy of so much of the church today. And it says, now as Jesus passed by, this is John the ninth chapter, first verse. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? Now the thing that we need to understand is that what we're eating here was interpreted from the Greek. And in the Greek, there was no punctuation, there are no capitals. And so the breakdown is according to the context. And so, I don't claim to be a Greek scholar but I believe according to the context, the punctuation is wrong. Because here it says, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he may be, that he was born blind. Question mark. Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, comma, but that the work of God should be revealed to him. Period. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. I believe the punctuation is wrong. They said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents that he is born blind? Nevertheless, neither this man nor his parents but then they put a comma, it connects to what he just said, but that the works of God should be revealed to him. But I believe that ought to be a period. And the period ought to be moved and a comma placed at the end of the verse, and it should be read like this. But that the works of God may be revealed to him, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, The night is coming, what did Jesus do? He healed him. Lord, what did I do? You were probably just born. We have an adversary out there that's out to steal, kill, and destroy. There's horrible things that happen in people's lives. They wanna know why, 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 we don't know the whys. The only thing we really know is that we've got a thief that's come but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. And when we look at the problem, rather than to look at the answer, the problem gets bigger and bigger and the answer gets smaller and smaller because there's only one answer and that is Jesus. Well, whose fault is it then? It's the devil. It's the world sometimes that's stupid things that we do. Amen. Amen it's not God. He didn't make this man blind so he could reveal his glory. The enemy made him blind. But Jesus revealed his glory by healing him and making him whole. Jesus wants to reveal his glory to each and every one of us. But you know, before we can be in that position. Well, let me rephrase that. we're already in that position, but it's, it's our faith in what Jesus has done that hinders us from walking in it. Second Corinthians 12:9 it says, "And he said to them, "This is Peter. Or, I mean, this is Paul, when persecution was coming against him. And notice when the persecution was coming against him, Paul didn't say, man, did I do something wrong here? He said, the Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What is he saying? He says, I'm not gonna focus on the difficulties that I'm encountering. I'm gonna focus on Jesus because I know whatever it is, that comes against me, Jesus is going to set me free. Moreover, Romans 5.20, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounds, grace abounds much the more. See, we look around us and we see this world is going to hell in a handbasket. There's no hope. But you know what? Rather than get discouraged... We ought to be encouraged because where, great, where, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. What does that mean? That means no matter how difficult the situation may, may seem, God's grace is bigger. No matter what we see that can be such a big problem, there's no way we're ever going to overcome it. God is bigger. What are we going to focus on? Are we going to focus on what Jesus did or are we going to focus on what Adam did? Why is the world the way that it is? Why does it surprise us? They're operating under the influence of the fall, the influence of Adam, the influence of rebellion. Why should we be surprised? Why are we surprised when the more laws that we heap on society, the more rebellion we see? Because that's exactly what law does. It produces rebellion. And so the natural progression then is that we rebel. Romans 1, 17, it says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. We live by faith. What's faith? Faith is things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is calling those things that be not as though they were. Faith dwells on what Jesus has done rather than on what we see around us in the world. We allow what Jesus has done to become bigger than what we see around us. In 2 Corinthians 10, 4 or 5, it talks about this battle that we're in. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. In other words, they're not of the flesh, but are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. What that is, the obedience of faith. We stop allowing everything else to dictate to us, and we put our trust in what Jesus said. Pulling down strongholds. What are the strongholds? What's a stronghold in your life? You know, the Bible talks about the sin that so easily besets us, the, the thing that, that controls our life. He says we can pull down that stronghold, but we pull it down through Christ Jesus, casting down arguments. You know, some people, all they want to do is, is argue the word. You don't have to argue the word. You accept the word. You don't have to defend the word the Word. You just preach the Word. You stand upon the Word. We take the Word literally. If the Bible says it, that settles it. It Doesn't matter what your argument or anybody else's argument is. If the Word says that by the stripes of Jesus, you're healed, then by the stripes of Jesus, you're healed, no matter what the argument is. And believe me, there's all kinds of them. Obedience to faith is the essence of spiritual warfare. Putting our trust in the completed works of Jesus, recognizing that the shed blood of Jesus Christ is more than enough. That war takes place in our minds. The enemy uses fear against us, but we overcome that fear of faith, putting trust in Jesus. We know that we truly believe when we rest. Doesn't mean that everything's hunky-dory. It means that we rest. It means we put our trust in Him. Hebrews 4.11 says, let us therefore be diligent, to enter the rest. If you're gonna labor at something, you labor to enter into the rest. And how do we get into that rest? By looking to Jesus, the author, and the perfecter of our faith. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. What's the disobedience that he's talking about? Taking our eyes off of Jesus, thinking that we can do it all by ourselves. We can't. We need him. Our actions are works of faith in what God did. Not attempts to get him to do what he's already done. And that's what we're doing so often. We're trying to get him to do What he's already done, but because we haven't focused on him, we don't know what he's done. Romans 10 17, we're all familiar with it. It says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. How do we grow in faith? How do we increase in faith? How do we walk in obedience to faith? By hearing the word. Isn't that frustrating? It all comes back to the word once again. There's no way to get around it. You know, again, I think so often things are, are moving from it. You know, sometimes I think, oh, Pastor, you're, Dave, you're using too much scripture. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I think I had three scriptures, and I felt like I just gave you a after-school snack. Because, you know, there's only one thing that's going to change us. There's only one thing that's going to bring the victory into our life that we so desire. And that's the Word of God. Let me close with this passage. It's out of Hebrews, the fourth chapter and the second verse. It says, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith to those who heard it. They heard the word, but didn't profit them because that word that they heard wasn't mixed with faith. Well, what does that mean? When we hear the word, And I don't mean just hear the word. I mean when we hear the word. It ought to bring about a challenge in our life. It ought to bring a desire to fulfill that. Not because I've got to do this to get something. But this is what my Jesus has done for me. And because of that, because I hear what he's accomplished for me and what's available to me, I walk in obedience because I believe it. Because I believe that he's gonna do exactly what he said he was gonna do. Because he's already done it. Obedience. Obedience to the faith. Obedience to walk in what he's already made available to us. To come to the place where we believe it, and when we believe it, we act upon it. Believing always leads to action. But oftentimes we don't act because we've heard it, but it's not been mixed with faith. Let's hear. Let's believe. Let's act. Let's not be a people that revert back to the mistakes of the past. Let's make sure that this precious gospel of, the Je- of Jesus Christ does not stop with our generation. But with every generation, it continues to be stronger and stronger and stronger. You know, Brother Hagan made this statement. He says, take what I've given you. Preach it, teach it. But don't stop there. Go further than what I ever imagined being able to go. You know, because of the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, I'm reading a biography of Martin Luther. And you know, the interesting thing about Luther was he didn't want him to stop with the revelation that he had. He wants us to go, he wanted us to go on, and and that's what Jesus wants. He wants every generation to be more familiar with Jesus than the generation prior. But oftentimes that's not what happens. History shows that it basically dies out in the third generation. And then what happens, we need a whole new revival. We should be living a life of revival. What that revival is, is that we take what we have, we pass it on to those around us, that they can pick it up and that they can move on with it. Because that's how the world is reached with Jesus. You know, this year I guess, We're also celebrating um, Billy Graham's 99th birthday. Praise the Lord. But you know, I heard Billy Graham say this one time. He said, if I had it all to do over again, if God would allow me to, what I'd do is I'd take one individual and I'd disciple that individual. Then we'd get two individuals. And with each disciple an individual. And then we'd get four. And then we'd get eight. And then we'd get 16. And then we'd get 32. And then we'd get 64. And that's as far as I'm going to go. But we'd reach the world with Jesus. You and I, we don't have to reach the world. We just need to reach one individual. We need to impart into their life what Jesus has imparted into our lives. And by doing so, we'll change our community. We'll change our state. We'll change a nation. We'll change a world. But we've got to start. We've got to believe that what Jesus said, Jesus Meant. That means, as a born again, spirit filled believer, you may need to step out in faith and lay hands on that individual to get their attention so that they'll hear the good news of Jesus. Because it's an interesting thing. Ministering to somebody's physical needs oftentimes gives us the credibility to speak to them, the spiritual things. Don't belittle what God's called you to do. Say, well, I just got this secular job. No, you have secular employment, but your job is to serve Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, I gotta quit. I can't really find a quitting place, so I'll just quit. Live the gospel, live it out. Demonstrate the goodness of God through your life. Be his ambassador wherever you go. Be obedient to the faith and it'll remove the struggle. It's not called us to struggle. It's called us to victory. Father, we thank you for your word that is living. And Father, we choose to be obedient to the faith. We choose to not just be hearers, but to hear. And then as we hear, to be doers of that word that we know to be so true. and Father, we know that when we act upon your word, you will demonstrate through our lives and you will receive all the glory. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray and believe and expect. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Give somebody a hug. Let them know you love them.